Welcome to the Let's Talk About Care podcast. From carehome.co.uk and homecare.co.uk, the leading reviews websites for care homes and home care. Hello, I'm Angeline Albert. Welcome to this episode of Let's Talk About Care podcast. On day one of his job as Prime Minister, Boris Johnson said he would fix the crisis in social care once and for all. The sector has been waiting for more than two decades to see reform to social care in England, and many want him to stop promising and start fixing. I'm here now with Caroline Dynage, who has been the country's care minister since January 2018. Fresh from an election victory, I asked the minister what social care reform the country can expect. Caroline Dynage, uh, Minister for Care. just like to welcome you to the podcast, Let's Talk About Care. Thank you for having me. It's very, very exciting. Is this your first podcast? I don't know. I think probably not, but I'm not the world's most technological person, so I probably wouldn't be able to tell you what I was talking into. I love being able to try different <laughs> methods of communication, so hopefully it's going to be good. Yes. Congratulations on your re-election. Thank you. I want to go back for a moment to your roots. Your father, Fred Dynage, he's no stranger to the limelight. Spent over 50 years as a broadcaster on television. What advice, if any, has he given you being in such a high-profile job? Uh, Well, he hasn't really. My dad is great because he has made a career out of entirely being himself. And I think that probably you can't have such a long career in any industry especially not in broadcasting unless you are yourself you know because if it's a facade eventually it will it will drop away maybe that's kind of what I learned from my own career to sort of very much do it my own way so I Mm -hmm. may not necessarily always come across as ministerial as people might expect but that's just my style and uh, and that's how I tend to approach my job. I'm quite an emotional, big-hearted, uh, exuberant sort of person and I tend to approach my my career <laughs> in the same way in my every job that I'm given. That's probably where he's influenced me. Be yourself. Keeping on the subject of your father for the moment, he's led an intriguing life, an official biographer for the Grey Twins. Yes. And as a child, you answered the phone, I believe, to Ronnie, Reggie, Cray? Yeah, yeah. What were your first impressions of the Cray twins? Well, I never got to meet them. My, my mum did. My mum um, got invited to go and see Ronnie in Broadmoor for tea. I was quite, I mean, I was in my teens at the time when my dad was writing the biography. My only memory of it is often I would answer the phone and there would be a strong London accent on the phone asking for my dad and Mm -hmm. and I'd say, of course, who's calling? And, you know, and it would be one or the other. And then one day it would be, oh, it's it's, uh, it's Reggie Cray. And and it it was always, it took a little step back because, you know, such a notorious figure. I didn't really, I suppose, at the time in my teens understand why he was so notorious and his brother was so notorious but I but I obviously had heard of them and I knew my dad was writing this book so you sort of take a little step back and go oh okay I'll just get him what made you decide to become an MP it happened by accident I was running my own business I had my own business since I was 19 Mm -hmm. I've always been a little bit outspoken we in Portsmouth we have an expression gobby I'm a bit gobby and um, I've always been one of those people that tends to sort of speak up uh, if I think something's wrong and basically the village that my parents lived in was flooded and my mum had pneumonia and she wasn't very well and then these green goddesses kind of funny old fire engines they'd bring them out to pump the water out of the village and my mum couldn't get better because of this perpetual noise and um, so one day I was chatting to one of my customers who was a retired brigadier and I said I'm really fed up with this 
this my mum's not getting any better the council you know every few years this happens they don't seem to do anything about it and he said to me the immortal words if you don't like it why don't you do something about it he said well I'm chairman of the local conservative branch we haven't got a candidate for the next local elections why don't you be our candidate he assured me that I couldn't possibly win it and I thought to myself well that will be a nice thing to tell my grandchildren one day that I once stood in an election so I mm-hmm. thought I'd give it a go and there I stood and I won the election and I became the youngest councillor in Winchester's um, history one thing led to another and I ended up in parliament <laughs> You've been a care minister, the country's care minister, since January 2018. Yes. Uh, the care sector, the general public have been waiting for more than 20 years to see reform in social care in England. The charity Age UK has said that some 1.5 million people aged 65 and over are not getting the care that they desperately need, according to the charity. Boris Johnson has said he will fix social care. I wanted to ask you, he said that he would publish a social care plan this year. Mm. Exactly when this year will we can we expect a social care plan? I think you're absolutely right to highlight, you know, that we are at a real sort of tipping point in terms of adult social care in this country. But as you said, this is not a new problem. Successive governments have wrestled with how to do it. We've had endless green papers, white papers, uh, and eventually, in every single case, it's just been put in the too difficult pile because it's uh, it's expensive and it's complicated, and there isn't really a uh, a solution that. Uh, doesn't involve some kind of either massive upheaval or massive massive expense. And so every single government has looked at it and just gone, maybe we'll leave it for the next guys to do. Unfortunately, the buck has stopped with us because there is now no more time to do this. We now do have to bite the bullet. Some of the statistics are a little misleading. The age UK statistic, 1.4 million people without the care they need. That There are people in that group who are getting the care that they need, mm-hmm. but they're self-funding. So it's not people that are left, you know, bereft and without care. You know, so I hate to, that everyone, anyone listening to this would think that there are 1.4 million people around the country who are desperately in need of care, and there isn't any, but a lot of them are paying for their own. So mm-hmm. uh, that their care needs being met, but it's, it's expensive, you know. And mm-hmm. what we're having is a conversation about whether people should be having to pay for their own care or whether it should be something that the state steps up to. In answer to your question, um, yes, the Prime Minister has said he wants to, uh, made a very strong commitment to this. We're, we're working on it already. I mean, we've been working on it for the last couple of years, as you know. Now that we've got a new government in place we have to make sure that they're all very comfortable with um, um, ideas and that we've sort of tried and tested them before we seek cross-party consensus. We have said we're going to try and seek cross-party consensus on this because it's been used as a political football for too long. For too, you know, We've heard over the years that things like the dementia tax and the death tax. There isn't a perfect solution otherwise someone would have found it before so we need to, to put aside our political differences, settle on a solution which is the best possible one we can get to and then move forward together rather than sort of having people bickering from the sidelines for political reasons. On that premise, as Boris Johnson said, he will publish a social care plan this year. Yes. So when can we expect it this year? Can you give us a date? I I can't because, uh, as you know, up until now we've been uh, wrestling with all the delights of Brexit and it very Mm -hmm. much has kind of sucked all the political oxygen out of the ability to debate anything else. We've literally only in the last week 
got through that. We're now in, finally in a position where we can focus on the next step. So we're, you know, the, the Department of Health and Social Care have done a massive amount of work on this. Number 10 are looking at it. Um, uh, the Treasury are looking at it. The Cabinet Office are looking at it. Um, uh, but only when we're absolutely satisfied that we've got a raft of different policies that we can move forward with will we, um, will we want to sort of bring in other political parties to talk about it can't commit to April or summer at the moment I I would I'd love to I would Uh love to but I think it but I think it would be foolish to do it because then everybody hooks on the date and then you'll see you know already we're bringing in opportunities for political falling out by potentially missing the date by a few weeks or you know uh, overshooting it see up up on my um, on my thing there I've got a a sign which I gave my husband once when we first got together it says actions speak louder than words rather than over promising and okay. under delivering I'd rather do the opposite okay over deliver and yeah. under promise yeah you've talked about getting a cross-party consensus now in terms of proposals they are really a collection of ideas so now that you have a majority conservative government you have more clout more power surely now you can just publish some proposals see what everybody thinks what all the parties thinks about that rather than trying to take the time to find out what all the parties want and waiting and waiting until something's published? I mean, I think we're, we're taking a sort of somewhat of a middle road here. You know, it's really important that we get political buy-in or we attempt to get political buy-in to this because okay. actually this is too important to mess about with. My grandfather died with um, prostate cancer. My grandmother had dementia. Right. And... Uh, there was a world of difference in the way that the sort of system saw their uh, own um, individual conditions and and you know my grandfather's care was paid for all the way through my grandmother's wasn't you know so and they were not wealthy my granddad worked in the dockyard in Portsmouth there is an inherent difficulty in the system which we've got to try and, and get through Labour had previously promised a, a lifetime cap on care costs do you think there should be a cap on uh, social care costs that people pay? So it's one of the things that, in, that we're looking at. Uh, the, the you know, and the Labour announcement. I mean, without getting horribly party political, because I don't what I don't want to do is say we want cross party consensus and then start um, uh, being critical of the opposition. But th- when they announced their plans last sort of October time, mm-hmm. it was an absolute gold plated demonstration of how you do it wrong because they completely forgot working age adults in their announcement. It shows you how you have to be really, really careful about how you think it through. That's the benefit of having done this job for two years. I've, I've you know, been out and about and I've met some just the most remarkable people. Mm. Within those social care proposals, you will be considering a lifetime cap on, on care costs for elderly and working age Well, we've people. got to consider everybody, you see. We've got to we consider a range of models, but when we model it, you know, and I've been very clear with my team that are working on this that we've got to almost in our head have a have lots of different individuals that we've met on this journey and say would this work for them okay migration advisory uh, (coughs) committees recommendation that the minimum salary threshold be lowered by 4,400 to 25,600 for skilled workers but many have said in the care sector that this is not enough. Lowering it to 25,600 a year is not low enough because care homes would still not be able to afford to pay for the care staff that they need who may be coming um, from outside of Britain. And, and some have even in the sector, such as uh, Care England's Martin Green, has recommended a threshold of 15,000. Will you be urging Boris Johnson to reduce the threshold further to less than 25,600 a year? So I'm not working with Boris Johnson on this. I'm working with the immigration 
immigration minister. I've had meetings with them all the way along uh, the line on this. And uh, uh, you know, and the, the good thing about a points-based system that uh, the Prime Minister says he, he wants to introduce, and um, the Home Secretary, is that actually where you do have skills shortages in certain sectors, you can increase the number of points for, for those particular specialities. I've been making the case for social care. We obviously have, you know, about 120,000 vacancies in the in the sector. It's a big sector. Uh, we want to grow our own talent as well, which is we've had some really good publicity campaigns. You know, I don't every day is different. Every day is different when you care. You know, we've had great feedback on that, and also making sure that we can um, improve the sector. We're working on a workforce uh, strategy that will maximise people's uh, potential within the sector, so that they can actually see that there's a potential career path for them Mm -hmm. that's why we've introduced uh, things like um, nursing associates in adult social care Uh, so we're looking at all the ways that we can make sure that it's a vibrant and a viable and attractive career for people you know we we know that we need to make sure that people aren't put off coming here to work in care and that's why I'm working very closely with the immigration minister. So you will be considering perhaps lowering that threshold further for skilled well, that's workers. Well, that's what I'll be making the case for, that we know that that's, that's the beauty of, a, of a, um, uh, an immigration system that's based on a points, is that if you've got a, sh- a skills shortage in an area, you can increase the points for that particular skill. What do you think about that 15,000 figure that uh, Care England's Martin Green, Chief Executive, has... Uh, uh, to be honest, I haven't had the chance to consider it. Um, uh, and, and I think sometimes putting, a, putting an actual number on something rather than... Um, uh, specifying a particular type of skill can mm-hmm. sometimes can sometimes actually take you down the wrong path. I wanted to ask you, Jo Cox, she died in 2016, Labour MP, killed on the way to her constituency office. Female MPs have faced misogynistic verbal attacks, death threats, and particularly via social media. Can you tell me some about some of the abuse that you've received as a female MP and how you've dealt with it? To be honest with you, it's um, it's not just it's not just women uh, MPs. My my husband uh, was an MP. Uh, he had a number of uh, of death threats. You know, I mean, to the extent that one of them was written in red paint on a um, war memorial in the middle of Milton Keynes. Um, mm. You know, so it's not just women MPs who've had uh, have had this. Yes. I've been um, exceptionally lucky. Uh, I think I represent an area. Um, you know, I'm really lucky with the area that I represent in Gosport. You know, people are largely um, really supportive, even if they don't share my political views. Uh, but of course, we all get uh, unpleasant language. Mm. Um, I've never, you know, so far touch wood. I've never um, felt threatened while going about my daily life. Having said that, you know, so you've uh, never had a, a death threat. I've never had it. No, but uh, that please don't let that encourage anybody to um, oh, come up with that idea. Um, but you know, but having said that, you know, I think we all do live with a low level of um, risk that we don't even probably take heed of anymore. So you know, the police had to come and do an audit of my home. I now have a panic button by my front door and one by my bed. Uh, you know, and if I was uh, still running my own business back home in Hampshire, I probably wouldn't have that. You sort of just live, you, you kind of take that for granted and move on and just live with it, and it's, it becomes almost part of your normal life. 
So when your husband, Mark Lancaster, when he stepped down last year, did that make you rethink your own position in politics and make you consider whether you wanted to stand at all? No, because the decision was joint. You know, it's very difficult when you've got two MPs in a family and one represents a seat in Milton Keynes and one represents a seat in Gosport. The children are all in Hampshire. He was doing so much driving. I really wasn't doing hardly any. He'd go up to Milton Keynes and then end up having to come back down to Gosport eventually at some point during the weekend. And then you can't live like that forever. Uh, and so he, we, we discussed the options and he decided that he would look at doing other things. It was really to support me that he took the decision to, to stand down. I okay. Although I probably wouldn't say that to his face because that would make him terribly big-headed. The House of Lords Economic Affairs Committee has urged previously for the government to give £8 billion a year to fund social care. £1.5 billion a year, which the government has committed to spending from 2020 2021. Will you be looking to up that figure, particularly with the budget coming up, and give the £8 billion a year that's been recommended? So, I'm rubbish with economics and sort of adding all the bits to bobs together. So, in previous years, we've given £2.5 billion additional funding, and this year we've basically embedded that, put that into the baseline. So, it's already gone up that much and then the manifesto commitment was for an, an extra billion pounds um, year on year to be able to stabilize the system uh, while we come up with the alternative solution for um, adult social care so it's a sort of it's a you know short-term funding to stabilize the system the money we've put in over the last few years has seen a seven percent increase in funding it's easy to just say oh you know one and a half billion two and a mm. half billion here's another billion just the word billion think of the vast sums of money here you know the fact that you can just keep chucking a billion pound here and a billion pound there at a system but with um, a growing population and people are still saying oh you know we need more we need more we need more this cross-party collection of mps from the house of Lords committee who got together and suggested the government give this eight billion a year for social care is that something that you'll be considering? Well, that comes in the budget. That's the discretion of the Chancellor, and that will mm-hmm. be in the next month or so. We'll wait to see what he, what he sets. Recommendations that you'll be making to the Well, we've the already committed to the next year's money, which is the, the $1.5 billion. You know, that was warmly welcomed by the local government association and ADAS both said it was a good starting point. So is there anybody that you're particularly working with at the moment to try and build this cross-party consensus? Are there any MPs that you're particularly looking to target to try to build that support yeah there, there, well there will be but also we, you know we're working outside the system as well so the last couple of years while I've been in this role we've had a, a kind of independent panel of people like Andrew Dillnot heads of geriatricians people in the insurance industry medical professionals people from social care backgrounds we've had a big panel of independent experts in all different fields who are also looking at it with us so it's not only cross-party you mentioned insurance there do you favor compulsory auto enrollment like in Japan with a payment from payroll going to a fund to cover future care costs well that will all come out when we flesh out a bit more what our um, preferred model is So are you also considering perhaps a social care premium in the form of a new tax on people, say, over the age of 40? Well, as I, as I say, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna show you too much leg here. I'm just I'm gonna keep you all uh, waiting just, just a, a bit, of bit longer, just a teeny weeny bit of ankle. But we're looking at a range of different models. Yeah. Now, Care Quality Commission they had a number of inspection reports where there was duplicate content, such as resident quotes who, mm. which had been copied and pasted mm. into other completely different care home inspection reports. I just wanted to find out what you're putting in place to ensure that the Care Quality Commission never again inaccurately reflects care homes. 
performance. Yeah, so the Care Quality Commission are independent of government, rightly mm-hmm. so. Obviously, this was a very uh, disappointing moment that they, they discovered that this was happening. I think they took very swift action to address it. All the places that had been inspected that had these different reports were inspected again. They've got a great new head of social care, Kate Cironi, who has taken big strides forward on making sure that the quality of their inspections is as we would want it to be, you know, as you would want it to be if, if it was your mum or dad in the care home. But I know that sometimes in all organisations things go wrong. It's how they deal with those things and how they, how they rectify those issues as quickly as possible that we kind of judge them on, I suppose. Okay, Scotland introduced free personal care 2002 and it's just been extended to those under the age of 65. Yes. So free support for people to get washed, dressed, go to the toilet, etc. And independent age, the charity has been urging the government to introduce some free personal care in England. Do you believe that this should be introduced and funded through taxation? If not, why not? The Scottish model is fascinating because they were ahead of the drag curve in doing this. It's also really good learning for us here down in, in England and Wales because what we've found is that you have to keep investing in this in order to keep the level of support. When the Scottish Government started this policy it covered roughly about 50% of people's care home costs uh, and now because it's they 30%, have... 30% is it? Now it's around about 25-30% yes because they haven't continued to put the money in and you know anecdotally we hear the sort of qualifying level at which the free care kicks in is getting harder to meet and it's taking longer to get the examination of someone's case but there is certainly some learning and as you say they've literally only just started including working age adults a smaller number but over half of the local authorities cost you'll be looking into it to see how it can work yes but learning from other people's mistakes shouldn't think the scottish government would mind the fact that we take on board some of the mistakes they've made and learn from them as well you once told me that not having published the green paper was one of your biggest regrets in office Is that still your biggest regret? Well, let's see if we can get it all sorted out this year. Because if we can deliver something that's bigger and that's better and that works for more people and that's got political consensus and that really does make a difference to people's lives Mm -hmm. at a time when they are most vulnerable, then I feel that I will have done my job. In your wildest dreams, what would you like to see done for social care? Well, I would just like to see a situation where people don't fear getting older or getting a long-term condition because they fear that it's going to wipe out everything they've ever worked for in their life, that there's some way that we can protect people from catastrophic costs. And I feel that people need to approach old age and celebrate all the pluses of it. We've almost fallen into a trap where we say, oh, the world is living longer, everyone's surviving in much later ages, we've got a growing ageing population, and that is a problem. And of course, it isn't a problem at all. I mean, you know, if you think about the alternative, mm. you know, it's something we should be celebrating, but we need to make sure that those extra years people are living are healthy that they're happy and that when um, you know the people remain independent as long as possible and that when people do need the care when you know life becomes harder that it's there for them
Well, you're on the way to a debate, the user-led social care debate in Westminster Hall. That's right. What is your stance on this? So he's looking at cooperatives, cooperatives. and how, yeah. I think we're very open to um, all sorts of new models of care which will deliver people choice. You know, that's why we introduce personal care budgets. Anything that gives people choice about um, the way that their care is delivered, something that is in harmony with their local community and that actually allows more freedom and, and more input. You know, we're very open to anything like that. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for speaking to me. So as you heard there, the care minister described herself as having been always a bit gobby, but not so much when it comes to revealing the plan for social care. Nothing is being ruled out, it seems, including a lifetime cap on care costs people pay. She is also considering lowering the annual minimum threshold for non-British workers from £30,000 a year to lower than the 25,600 recommended by the Migration Advisory Committee. I'm not going to show you too much leg here, she said. So here, it seems, is the teeniest bit of ankle. The minister referred to an age UK statistic as misleading. 1.5 million people aged 65 or over in England have an unmet care need, up from 1.4 million. She said this was not people left bereft and without care. These are people paying for their own care. In response, Dr Libby Webb, Senior Research Manager at HUK, said, The Minister is incorrect. 1.5 million people is the number of people in England aged 65 and over with an unmet care need, regardless of whether they are self-funded. They are having difficulty with activities of daily living and their needs are not being met. We welcome engagement with the Minister so that she can understand our statistics better. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Let's Talk About Care. The winners of our podcast competition have been announced on the Twitter page at carehome underscore co underscore UK. So congratulations to Dan Horton, Max Jacobson, Pat Pancelli and Ryan Pullen. You will be receiving a copy of Nula Suchet's book, the Longest Farewell, James, Dementia and Me. If you would like to share your comments about this episode, you can email podcast at carehome.co.uk or search carehome.co.uk on Facebook or tweet at carehome underscore co underscore UK. Thanks for listening. The Let's Talk About Care podcast.